0: On today's Problematic Women, we continue our series of conversations with women we admire, the Problematic Women role models, as we like to call them. And today we welcome home the original Problematic Woman, Kelsey Bowler. Kelsey just had a baby this fall and is back today to talk about her little girl's early arrival and spending over a month in the NICU. Kelsey, I hear you also have a special guest with you as well.
1: You might hear her making some baby noises. She is in studio with us today, sitting in my lap, looking cute as ever. Also, we have Virginia Allen. Welcome, Virginia. Excited to be here. I don't uh, feel
2: like I'm quite as exciting as a guest as Scarlett. <laughs> she definitely takes the cake. <laughs> I
0: think Scarlett might be the cutest guest we've ever had here on Problematic Lemon. I think that's definitely accurate. I might
1: be biased, but
0: I agree. <laughs> Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone
2: who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review and a rating on iTunes and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make such a huge difference.
1: I'm so impressed you guys could get through that with these baby coos in the background. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's soothing. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, we are just so excited to have you back. You've been out of the office on maternity leave for a few months and your sweet little girl came early. She was born at 31 weeks and six days on September 12th this year. She spent her first month or just over her first month of life in the NICU. And you just wrote an article for The Federalist titled 10 Reflections from a First-Time NICU Mom. So let's jump in and just discuss that article a little bit. Now, I mean, obviously, as, uh, as a mom and someone who's, who's expecting, you never think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll spend my first month with my child in the NICU and so that's, I mean, that's such a great challenge, just emotionally and psychologically to kind of overcome what were some of the most helpful things that the friends and family around you did while you were in the NICU? You know, it, it can be really hard to know how to help someone, how to journey with them through that season. So was there anything that, uh, that you just found helpful?
1: Well, I've been saying expect the unexpected was an understatement for me because my pregnancy was perfectly textbook healthy up until 30 weeks when my water broke early. And then it became news to me that you can actually stay pregnant when your water breaks. So I had to go on bed rest in the hospital and doctors did all they could, which really isn't much, to uh, keep Scarlett inside of me because at that point every day um, she can remain inside of me um, is... Mm -hmm is huge for her development. Um, But she was pretty impatient, really excited to make her very dramatic grand entrance into the world and came at 31 weeks and six days. So while I was on bed rest, uh, I learned that, you know, she would be in for a NICU stay. And I have to give a lot of credit to the doctors in preparing me for this. Um, we We had NICU doctors come and talk to me about the different points where she was developmentally, what to expect when she was born. Nobody told me to do this, but I'm very glad one of the first things I asked was, am I going to be able to hold her when she's born? Because obviously my entire birth plan went down the drain. Um, this was not the type of birth I had planned for. And I just imagined you know, this is going to be a very scary thing to give birth to a baby that is going to be so tiny. Like, Will she be breathing? What type of help is she going to need immediately when she comes out? And at the point where I was close to 32 weeks, I was in a gray area where doctor said there's a chance that she'll come out crying and you'll be able to hold her very briefly before, before we'll take her to the NICU. Or, you know, there's a chance she might come out not breathing and we're going to have to take her away very quickly. So be prepared for that. And that's something I wrote in the article that anyone who's facing a uh, premature birth um, should think about asking their doctors prior because, you know, there are situations where parents don't know that their baby is going to require a NICU stay. And having your baby taken away from you so fast after birth can be such a traumatic experience. Um, And so I think it's really important to think through that if you are facing
0: a premature birth. So Kelsey, you talked in your article about the friendships that you formed with the other NICU moms. What was that like sitting next to these women who were in a similar situation as you?
1: I really thought a NICU was reserved for these very extreme situations where babies needed surgeries and and, and so forth, and what I found out is, you know, there actually one in ten births in the United States are premature, and that means birth before 37 weeks. So some of these babies require very long NICU stays, far longer than uh, what my daughter experienced. Others are require just a couple days or maybe a couple hours in the NICU. But it, it's a very common thing that for some reason we just don't talk about much, perhaps because it is so common, um, but it is such an emotional experience. There's logistical problems. Um, and then, you know, it's like before this happened to me, I didn't even know what a NICU looked like. I thought you know, when my when I learned that my daughter would have to stay in the NICU I thought I'd be able to stay overnight with her. Well, no, most NICUs actually are just big open rooms with a couple dozen babies that are all being tended to by different n- nurses and doctors. And so I could visit her 24 hours a day if I wanted, if I wanted to, which obviously is not possible. You do need to try to sleep at some point, but you cannot you cannot stay with your baby overnight. You have to physically leave her um, every night, which is which is extremely hard. And inside a NICU, it is such a personal it's such a personal place to be that it's interesting because you know. I found that not many parents were talking to each other. And I think that's because, you know, you can't just assume someone wants to share their experience with you and asking them what happened, why why is your baby in the NICU, felt kind of invasive. But the longer I was in there, um, naturally I just started conversations with my neighbors and it ended up being one of the most helpful things I could do for myself and, and hopefully for them because what I learned is as much as other people wanted to help and be there for us and did all they could by bringing us food and, and so forth. Um, nobody could really understand what I was going through except a fellow Nikki mom. And so by the time I was leaving, I was actually getting the cell phone numbers of some of my neighbors so I could stay in touch and hear how their babies are doing because um, Scarlett's neighbor was a baby. It was actually their their twins, born very, very early, less than two pounds. And sadly, um, it was a boy and a girl. Sadly, the boy did not make it after six nights in the NICU. He passed away, Mm -hmm. and the girl, little fighter, was still there. And this mom was there before Scarlett entered, and she was there when— we got discharged. And I didn't want to leave not knowing what was going to happen to this little girl. So I got her number and I, I still talk to her to this day. And I plan on having Scarlett meet this her little baby girl who, who I believe right now is um, happily on her way out of the NICU. Um, but it was just like incredible seeing babies this small and really thank God for science and modern medicine for being able to help them grow and, and fight for their lives. It's it's really it's really a special place.
0: How did you stay strong emotionally during that time? It's easy
1: to, you know, kind of form a woe is me attitude. It it is very (laughs) difficult spending all day in the NICU, scared for your, your baby's life. But anytime I would start to adopt that attitude, I looked at the babies around her. And I thought, I have no right to feel like that. I have no right to feel anything but grateful, because as far as we knew, Scarlett needed help with her breathing. She needed help with her feeding, Um, and she was having – you know, she was having some – episodes where she would forget to breathe. But compared to a lot of the babies around her, she was doing great. The Nikki nurses actually called her the little chunk because at thirty almost thirty two weeks she was born over four pounds, which is actually quite large for that gestation age. And as I said, there's babies far smaller than her. So, um, you know, I, I I wouldn't let myself um adopt an attitude of anything but gratitude, because at the end of the day, I was so lucky that she was pulling through in the NICU. And now look at her. She's over double her birth weight and doing great. She really is.
2: <laughs> it's so great just looking at her here in the studio. Now, what has surprised you most so far about being a mom?
1: It's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I guess just what a learning curve it all is. You know, I have to think on round two, it'll be a lot easier you know, I don't need to get too into this, but when you're in the NICU, um, breast milk is very important for these babies, a the mother's breast milk. And a lot of NICU moms have trouble producing milk because you can't be there physically with your baby 24 hours a day. And most of them, all of them who are born that premature, are not capable of breastfeeding. So you're forced to pump, which is. Not fun. Anyone woman who's been through that knows pumping is not fun. Things like that just take so long to become efficient in. You know, the first couple times it takes you an hour to do what could eventually take maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I think it's just things like that. Learning how to be efficient with my time has been like such a such a learning curve, you kind of think like I'm going to be a natural in a way. Being being a mother is a natural thing. Like I hadn't been around a ton of infants before I had one of my own, and you just get it. They, I remember someone told me, "You're going to be able to differentiate between her cries. You'll know she's hungry, and you know you'll know she's in pain. The cries will sound different." I'm like, "What? No! Like when a baby cries, a baby cries. I'm not. How am I going to know? But it's actually this incredible thing where they do have different cries, and you do learn how your baby communicates. And I do know when she's hungry, but, but yeah, it's just
0: all takes time. So Kelsey, this is a two part question. Uh, the first part, is there any advice that you've been given before having a baby that's really stuck and been really helpful? And is there any advice that you didn't get that you wish you would have?
1: I didn't go out seeking. I, I So I read a lot of parenting books. I didn't go out seeking a ton of advice because I was actually, one of the earliest in my friend groups to have a baby. So among my peers, I didn't have that many women to go to to ask for advice. But I I did read a lot of baby books, and I have a couple favorites. Emily Oster has two books, and those were very helpful throughout my pregnancy. Granted, my pregnancy ended short, and I, I, I didn't get to use them as much as I thought I'd be able to.
0: So, Kelsey, you have a wonderful husband, Luke. You've been married for about a year what has it been like for you two walking this road together? Do you feel like your relationship has changed at all?
1: It absolutely has changed. Um, you know, I, I think as soon as I got put in bed rest in the hospital, I realized how lucky I was because Luke did not have to spend nights with me. In fact, I kind of tried to tell him to go get some sleep while he could, but he insisted on sleeping on the most uncomfortable reclining chair. In the world. I mean, it's like made of plastic. I cannot believe hospitals don't have more comfortable chairs. In fact, if I ever make it big one day and have a bunch of money to donate, I've already decided I'm donating comfortable chairs uh, to NICUs around the country because the one I was in had these like wooden rocking chairs that I'll tell you after giving birth. Can be if they were very painful, and you know you're sitting in those for like eight, ten hours a day, and it is just awful. But my wonderful husband um, stayed with me throughout my hospital stay, and then was just such, um, you know, such a champ throughout Scarlett's NICU stay. You know, women often have longer maternity paternity leaves than men, and so my husband did have to go back to work. One of us at least had to be making money. And he would get up with me and, you know, in the middle of the night when I needed to. And he would really just be so supportive and spend as much time as he could in the NICU and driving me to and from the NICU because I was just, you know, in such a fragile, emotional state, even driving myself to the NICU. I just I didn't really want to be alone. I either wanted to be with him or be with Scarlett. And so we really we certainly got closer in that regard and then just watching him you know since we were able to bring her home watching him be a dad to her is just the most beautiful thing i mean dads are so important in children's lives and um watching them bond you know mothers have such a natural bond you know because we are physically providing for our child but watching their bond grow stronger and stronger every day is just so special
0: That's so sweet. You had another member of your family that's also had to learn to live with a new baby. Can you talk about your dog, Utah, and what that's been like having a dog and a baby in your home?
1: Oh, my gosh. So everybody was so concerned about how our dog was going to react to the baby because he's an Australian Shepherd. They're one of the most high-energy dogs in the world. Um, Of course, you know— I decided to get this dog while living in the city. So he requires a lot of exercise. And if he doesn't get exercise, he's very restless. And, you know, at times he has some behavioral problems. And people were rightly so concerned about how he was going to respond to not being the center of our lives anymore. (laughs) You know, I think one of the silver linings about being in the NICU is that, Every day I would uh, bring home Scarlett's dirty laundry and he would be sniffing it. And I think very quickly he, you know, learned there's a new member of the pack and it was so cute. He actually would rub his face and his fur on her dirty laundry. I don't I don't know if that's weird or what, um, but by the time I brought her home, I think he kind of knew who she was, and um, instead of being jealous, he became protective of her, and he loves his little sister. Um, anytime she starts to cry, it's the cutest thing. Utah comes racing over. He wants to help, and his version of helping, sadly, isn't very helpful. He, he licks her face, which is not something we want him to do. Do. But you also don't want to scold him because in his mind he's helping and it's really cute. So he's he's been great. Um, but I will say having a dog and a baby is not easy. Um, I, honestly, my dog is more difficult than the baby sometimes. <laughs> um, if he doesn't get enough exercise, which I can't take him to the park right now, he will start barking. And it's very loud. And somehow Scarlett is able to sleep through it most of the time. But it's funny, I I told someone the other day, I I think my dog is a little more difficult than my baby.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so precious. I love photos of dogs and babies. I just melt every time (laughs) I see
1: them together. I know, it's a cuteness explosion. It really is.
2: (laughs) So you've talked a little bit about um, the effect that your time on the NICU has had on your pro-life views. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, well, so this is a a hard thing. I I didn't want to write about it and, you know, make my daughter's birth somehow political but i think no matter what your views are on life and abortion once you go inside a nicu you can't go back you see what these babies look like when they are still inside the womb when they're supposed to still be inside the womb Um, when they are you know Less than one pound. I mean, it, like the different baby sized babies in there I, I saw were just crazy. And you realize this is what life is. Um, and there's no I don't know how anybody can walk into a NICU and deny that. Um, and I, I can't help but wonder what would happen if more um, more women who were considering abortion were able to see babies at these young ages. Um I'd like to think that, you know, people's minds would change on abortion. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, there's reasons that, you know, everyone in the public can't go into NICUs. But seeing babies like that, you you just can't unsee it.
0: (laughs) So, Kelsey, how has this changed not only your view on being pro-life, but also kind of the future of the country in every issue on the political spectrum?
1: To be perfectly honest, um, when I got pregnant, I was worried about whether or not I would still want to return to work and have a passion for what I do. Um, My mom was very blessed to be a stay-at-home mom. A lot of my friends' parents were stay-at-home moms, and I think the world of of stay-at-home moms. And when I was younger, I thought that's what I wanted to be when I grew up eventually, to be a stay-at-home mom. I've been very lucky to find a career that is a passion to me. And I'm honestly relieved to say after having Scarlett, if anything, um, I care about what I'm doing more. Because instead of just fighting for what I want for the future of our country, I'm now fighting for what I want for Scarlett's future. And it just honestly, it gives me more confidence in what I'm saying and and, and what I believe, and it, and it makes me want to fight. It makes me want to double down and fight even harder.
0: One thing we talked a lot about on this podcast over the summer is children's photos on social media, and when we last spoke with you, Kelsey, you were kind of on the fence, but you've been posting some photos of Scarlett. What's made your decision on that?
1: Uh, well, this is something that i still trying to figure out. In the short term, I decided that babies are so cute, and we need more of them on social media. <laughs> Um and she just had such a story. I felt like you know, in a way I was meant to share it. I was very blessed to be able to go on Shannon Bream on Fox News and talk about um NICUs. And really my 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 hope there is for other NICU parents to know they're not alone and by writing about it and by talking about it, hopefully helping others who are just beginning their NICU journey. There's so much that I wish I had known By the time I was leaving the NICU before I went in, but there just wasn't much information out there. So, in a way, I hope, you know, I hope Scarlett is okay with that one day that I'm using her story to help educate others on on what a NICU stay is like and also to thank the NICU doctors and nurses who are doing the Lord's work in there and caring for these babies. I mean, I cannot tell you how hard it is leaving your baby at night. And if it weren't for these incredible doctors who I was able to put uh, doctors and nurses who I was able to put all my trust in, um, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I also decided. I also, you know, came to the the decision to put her face on social media for now because babies, you know, don't look like this forever. And so I think in um, maybe the next couple years, I'm going to reassess my decision. Um, Once she gets old enough to be talking, you know, I'll try to have these conversations with her and see how she feels like it. Um, I also am not trying to, like, post her pictures everywhere every day. I'm trying to um, use moderation in in what I do with them. But, you know, when she's like 10 years old, she's not going to look like the way what she looks like right now. So if I do have the fear that. Um, because unfortunately there are some bad people out there if someone really were, wanted to do something you know they're they're not going to be able to find her when she's 10 years old based on her baby pictures
0: all right we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we'll still have Kelsey in studio to get some of her takes on the biggest news stories that we covered while Kelsey was out
2: It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. And I know that you might also find yourself overwhelmed often. So if you're looking for a great way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. I co-host the Monday edition with my colleague, Rob Bluey, to bring you interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. And of course, we always start your week off right with a good news story. So be sure to check out the Daily Signal podcast, available
0: every weekday morning. All right, welcome back. Kelsey, we've talked a lot about Chick fil A on this podcast. And a few episodes ago, Virginia and I talked about Chick fil A's decision to stop funding two Christian organizations after criticism that the organizations were anti LGBTQ. This topic is so important, and we just really wanted to get your opinion and talk some (laughs) politics a little bit. In case you haven't kept up on the story, Chick-fil-A has long been criticized by LGBTQ activists because of their charity. The Chick-fil-A Foundation gave money to the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, two organizations that support traditional marriage. The Chick-fil-A Foundation released a statement saying that they would only support education, homelessness, and hunger programs and not renew their contracts with organizations outside that focus. Many conservatives see this as a betrayal and giving into far-left bullying. Governor Mike Huckabee tweeted in August of 2012, I coordinated a national Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day after they were being bullied by a militant hate group. Millions showed up. Today, Chick-fil-A betrayed loyal customers for money. I regret believing that they would stay true to the convictions of their founder, Truett Cathy. Sad.
2: So Kelsey, The Daily Signal has written a number of stories on the situation. We've discussed it on this podcast and others. How do you view uh, what has transpired in, um, And do you think it's really a betrayal?
1: What's so frustrating is that just because a person or an organization is pro-traditional marriage does not mean that that person or organization is anti-gay. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of Americans on the left view these conversations that way, and that's just not the case. Christian organizations are doing some of the most important work in the country and in the world, I actually often look to New York Times, very liberal commentator, um, author, Nicholas Kristof, who has covered a lot of the work that Christian organizations have done throughout the, the world. And I think to politicize these organizations for interpreting the Bible according to what it says is really hurting the causes that these organizations have been supporting for decades and decades. You know, I think it's kind of a cop-out what Chick-fil-A did by saying um, we're we're only supporting organizations that, you know, are contributing to solving hunger crisis and so forth. You know, that, that theoretically makes sense because they're Chick-fil-A, they make food, and so they're going to help, you know, make sure that people aren't going hungry anymore. But, you know, we all can read between the lines here. Clearly, the higher-ups were getting sick of hearing the criticism that they were anti-gay. And I think more and more we're seeing Chick-fil-A enter more liberal markets, New York City and, and, and so forth. And, you know, I, in, I, I do think it's a betrayal to their values and, and unfortunately um, just perpetuates this idea that if you are
0: pro-traditional marriage, you're anti-gay. And not only did they just drop these organizations, it also came out that they donated to the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is... You know this far left extremist group,
1: right? And they just the Southern Poverty Law Center just like there's this big expose about them. Um, you know about how intolerant the Southern Poverty Law Center, which exists to fight, you know, supposedly to fight intolerance, is. Um, so to fund them is just doing a complete 180. And you know it's it's really unfortunate because this SBLC has slandered organizations like Alliance Defending Freedom, which are out there actually defending, you know, a lot of these different Christian bakers, florists and so forth, facing a lot of um, these anti-gay accusations and and lawsuits.
0: And something that's really kind of grinded my gears about this is that the left has been saying, who's the snowflakes now? You know, you can't stand Chick-fil-A doing this. But the difference is that people on the right are saying, I'm not going to spend my money at Chick-fil-A anymore. But people on the left say, I don't want Chick-fil-A to exist anymore. And so it's different. So we're, we're voting with our dollars. We're not saying Chick-fil-A doesn't have a right to exist or they shouldn't exist. We just don't think that that's the company that we would want to support. But Kelsey, you personally, are you going to be eating at Chick-fil-A anymore?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I have a Chick-fil-A literally around the corner from me <laughs> and with a newborn. Um, that's like an important place for me to be getting my food. So I'm not going to be boycotting them, but I completely like think this decision goes against their values and is a cop out and, um, is really unfortunate because part of the whole, you know, part of Chick-fil-A donating to these Christians or organizations isn't just that they are supporting these causes, those values we've seen them, um, you know, exist throughout the entire company, how they have good benefits for their employees and um, their employees treat their customers with so much respect and it's actually an enjoyable fast food place to go to. And my my biggest fear is that, you know, if, you know, if they continue down this path, Chick-fil-A is just going to be like any other fast food chain that... <laughs> Scarlet apparently has some thoughts. Um, Chick-fil-A is going to be like any other fast food chain and they're not going to... Um, You know, really be able to differentiate themselves because of those values.
2: All right. Well, we have had uh, a great time (laughs) over the past couple of months talking about Kanye West on this podcast. Uh, Lauren loves Kanye. Loves Kanye. (laughs) And she's converted me to be a huge Kanye fan. Uh, But Kelsey, you're probably aware that while you were away, Kanye dropped his new album, Jesus is King. We've had that album on replay here in the office and a whole bunch of us here at the Daily Signal went to see the film that accompanied the album's release. So, important question, have you listened to the album, and has Scarlett (laughs) listened?
1: So, I, in general, like, I'm not big into music, which is, I know it's kind of weird, but I don't even have a Spotify subscription. I just use, like, the free Spotify, and I use the free Pandora. Um, But I was very curious part of the reason i don't listen to music is because i'm just such a news junkie that anytime i can be listening to something i'm usually listening to podcasts um you know problematic women daily signal so forth
0: (laughs) heritage Heritage
1: explains go (laughs) to 101 but i was curious about this album and I, i really do think kanye is doing such a good thing in the face of such intolerance towards his beliefs um i he has received so much backlash and you know I think there's some people who are trying to make this like a a trump thing and it's really not a trump thing it's it's really Kanye's own journey and and him. Um, reconnecting with his faith. And I think it's so wonderful. I saw him, uh, he did a free concert in a prison. I mean, what a good way to give back. And the fact that he you know, did that, it's its clearly not so much about the money anymore. Um, and I, I read somewhere he he said, the one thing you can do in your life that will give you the most wealth is to have lots of babies.
0: And I couldn't agree with that more. You're well on your way. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing we've talked a lot about Uh, between you and I is that you were born June 8th. Uh, Our former co-host Brie Payton was June 8th. Kanye West was born June 8th. Right. So I want to know, as someone who shares a birthday with Kanye, how (laughs) was the dragon energy of the album?
1: Oh, hashtag privileged to share a birthday with him. At first, actually, I didn't love that I shared a birthday with him because early on when he... Had the when he was calling himself Jesus, I can't even say it right. Am I saying it right, Jesus? Um, I thought that was kind of inappropriate. Like, you know, don't like compare yourself to Jesus Christ. Um, I didn't understand that whole thing, but you know, slowly I've gained more and more respect for him. I I wouldn't say you know I have like a dragon energy connection with him. I think that was more between Brie and I, but I actually have been listening a bit to his album. I was curious about it and the messages that it entailed. And so Scarlett and I have been uh, listening quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love
2: that. So with all the changes that we've seen with Kanye, all very quickly, what do you think we should expect from him in the future?
1: <laughs> expect the unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he is... Really, He really is a free thinker. And that's why, you know, when it comes to politics, you know, don't don't put all your eggs into the Kanye basket because he might agree with you on one issue, but he won't agree with you on another issue. I don't think he is a conservative. I don't think he's a liberal. I think he's an independent thinker. And, you know, in, especially in Hollywood, I think that's a great thing. And I hope other especially young people are looking up to him and realizing That I I can think for myself and look what happens if you do think for yourself. You can really do some wonderful things for the world.
0: All right. We'll be right back with Kelsey to crown our problematic woman of the week.
1: Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? If you want to understand what's happening at the court, subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast breaking down the cases, personalities and gossip at the Supreme Court.
0: All right. Well, I guess it's no surprise the prominent woman of the week this week is Kelsey yeah. Buller.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to make it Scarlett. She was She's woman she of the week right a couple, when she was yeah, born when because she, she, was born. she
0: was she was you all so can share the crowd. <laughs> but just what you've done sharing Scarlett's story and really using something difficult that you went through to promote good, which I don't know many people who would be willing to put themselves out there like that. So
1: I appreciate that, and, and to be honest, it it was a big decision for me to tell this story because it is so personal, and you know there's some really ugly people and ugly things out there in the world. It was a difficult decision to go public with our NICU journey. It it is it is very personal, and I ultimately realized we're in a very difficult uh, political environment right now, um, but. You know, politics is ultimately not what is most important in life. What's most important are, are families and relationships. And when one out of every 10 births in the United States is premature, I feel like so many families are dealing with long NICU stays. After I got discharged, my heart just broke. Knowing that every day more and more parents are walking in the into the NICU and you know could be there for months at a time, so if I could use our story to bring some of those other families comfort and sort of demystify um, what a NICU stay entails, um, that's what I should do because you know not everybody is 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 privileged to have a platform, and you know my hope is that. You know, if I even just help one family get through this difficult time, it will have been all it will all have been worth it. Absolutely no.
2: I think so many moms and dads are gonna be really, really blessed by your story and the journey that
0: that both you and Luke have taken through this. So thank you for sharing, Kelsey.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Well, Kelsey, Virginia, that's gonna be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join
2: us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of Problematic Women. And in the meantime, please take a moment to subscribe and share.
1: And before we take off, I just want to take a moment to thank both Lauren and Virginia for stepping up and filling in for me these past couple of months. It was, you know, I, I left very abruptly. We thought I would be here for much longer and be able to formulate more of a plan for how you were going to continue the podcast in my absence. You guys stepped up to the plate. I have enjoyed listening every week. You've done such a good job, and I am so grateful.
0: So story time real quick at the end of the podcast. Kelsey's water broke actually while we were recording an episode of Problematic (laughs) Women. Kelsey was not doing the recording. She was out. uh, She was off that week. But how crazy is that? that
1: Well, today is my first day back at the Heritage Foundation where we record these podcasts. Um, Since my water broke, it was my first day back after being on my baby moon in Bermuda, During lunch, I was running across the street to grab a sandwich and my water broke in this dirty deli. And, you know, I had to rush over to the hospital. And, you know, you you think when you have a baby, you're just going, you're going to have time to, you know, leave your desk all organized and um, formulate a a plan for how, uh, you know, the podcast is going to operate in, in my absence and so forth. And none of that was Possible And so it was so strange walking into the building today. It feels really good to be back and, um, and, and see all my wonderful colleagues, you two both included. And I'm, I'm just very grateful for all the different ways that our Daily Signal and Heritage teams have stepped up to the plate uh, to help me through this. Well, well, it's been a lot of fun, but we're certainly excited to have you back, Kelsey. We're excited. You'll be well, back. Well, guys, I still have a couple more weeks in my maternity leave. Don't get too excited yet.
0: <laughs> so that will actually be it for Problematic Women. And don't forget, conservatives need your support in the podcast world. We would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great rest of your week.